Let me um let me see if this is gonna help. Is that too stark? I, I like it. Okay, great. We'll keep I feel these like on I'm then. illuminated. I feel like I'm blessed. Okay. Yeah, you look like a uh, uh improv angel coming. I feel like I've it. opened an arc just like off <laughs> camera here. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Long Form Conversations, the podcast where we talk about long form improv. As always, I'm your host, David, and we have a very special episode today. Uh, our guest is someone who doesn't really need an introduction, but uh, I'll give him one anyways. This is going to be a very um, well-respected, well-renowned improviser, improv teacher, actor, and some might even call him the world's greatest improviser. <laughs> Please give it up for Will Hines. Hello. Hello, David. How's it going, Will? Going great. I, I'm getting over a cold, so my, my voice is raspy. You're, you're capturing a very sultry version of me. No, this um, is... Vocally speaking, yeah. Yeah, well, you're, yeah. yeah you're sultry in all, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all senses. Um, that was a nice intro. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, uh, uh, everybody probably knows you from your numerous podcast uh, appearances, so, yeah. your uh, uh, acting credits, and then also writing and founding World's Greatest Improv. Now, yeah, would you say that those two different brands are like connected? Your book, the book in, in my school. school. Yeah, I've, so I wrote the book. I wrote a book called How to Be the Greatest Improviser on Earth. Um, I think it came out in June 2016. Uh, I forget if it was 2015 or 16. Let's say 16. And I, um, you know, the title was tongue in cheek. You know, it was supposed to just be like this over promising, silly title, how to be the greatest improviser on earth. And then when I was over the pandemic, when I started teaching classes online, because we were all just locked up, I was bored and I, I also needed a little money and I just missed improv. Um, a friend of mine said, you should call it greatest improv school. Just go with the book, like keep the joke going. Yeah. felt very improv -y to sort of keep the pattern going. To, to and, heighten it. Yeah. Plus <laughs> I thought if someday, if the school ever was successful to the point where it got big and everybody resented it, it would be fun to have people online being like, you know what I hate? World's greatest improv school. Yeah. Yeah. You know who thinks they're all that? I don't know. It would somehow, it would somehow be. You know who really got me in my head was the world's greatest improv. Yeah, there's just something like inherently <laughs> silly about it that I, that I that tickled me. So. Yeah, I remember um, when I first started, started taking improv and people were recommending the book, and that was kind of the same idea. Like, we're already kind of in this mind frame of like, oh, everything's kind of a joke or kind of a bit. So when yeah. they said, "How to be the world's greatest improviser," I was like, "Wait a second, <laughs> it'll probably make me okay." I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I like overpromising. Um, so yeah, the school's yeah. related to the, the book in that way. I think you're finally delivering the promise because um, you kind of are maybe. going international. You are kind of yeah, like, maybe. I mean, I can't think of any other example. Is there any other improv school that's like, like around the world? Well, I mean, online, I think, yeah. Okay, like, you might know that world better than me. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, over the pandemic, the online improv world exploded. Mm -hmm. And, you know, every improv institution had some online footprint and then when lockdowns lifted, um, a lot of them sort of gave up their online part. But a lot of them, like like WGIS, um, kept it. And so, yeah, we're not we're not the only ones. Who else? I mean, UCB is still teaching classes online. 
probably Second City is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we're 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 one of the ones that is that is really doing it. And I think there's a lot more individual teachers, of course, yeah, that have kept up sort of like small international, like not a lot of people, but spread out over the globe. And I was talking to some other friends about this, but one I think one of the things that separates and makes you know uh, WGIS so much more I don't know like prominent in the online space is you have a an online community that kind of supports this. So as people take classes, not like I yeah. take a class and then do a grad show. Yeah, but you have jams. You have yeah. Shows. There's Friday jams and there's we have teams um, and shows, class shows and stuff and. Um, so yeah, that 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 was born over the pandemic, and we kept it going. I guess that is special. Yeah, because more importantly than the school is, you have kind of like an online stage, an online theater for people to perform. Yeah, I guess that's that is the sort of sometimes unspoken but important part of improv school is like um, the community that goes with it, or feeling like you belong to a community. Not everybody has that experience, um, but a lot of people do. And I think that is what keeps people around an improv theater beyond just like taking a class. Like um, you feel like you're, you're part of a little tribe. Yeah. And it's, it's really been paying off because now that's like, you know, uh, improv has kind of been like reopening and spreading. I've had the opportunity to like travel around and people have been coming to LA and it is so, so interesting how many people like have either heard of you or, you know, people that like are even friends like, Oh, you're in LA. You must know, you know, Sawhill. Yeah. Yes, I'm like, yeah, I know Saul. How do you know him? We did we just together for oh, a yeah, long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, I love that. I that's very really great. I didn't really have that direct ambition to for for it to grow or whatever, but I was really psyched when it did. I I think something that I'm proud of, which maybe wasn't a conscious decision, but it was like getting other people involved early. Like when I first started doing classes online, I put up, I just taught classes. I probably could have just done that, but instead I got a couple people to be subs for me and then I let them do classes and I created a website where the classes were listed and then I wanted these students to have a chance to perform. So I made teams, but I got other people to be the coaches, other people to be the teachers. Like yeah. I tried to have a team of people, not just me. Um, so, you know, that meant like more organization, a more challenge of planning more drama of personalities clashing, not not too often, but sometimes. But the good side is it's um there's a lot of people who feel like they have ownership, not just feel like they have ownership and they've done like Sahel ran the jams. He was one of a team of people who ran the jams. Sahel Desai, he's from well, he was from San Francisco when he originally took classes, but now he's moved to um LA since then. Let's try check out uh episode. I think it's 18 or 19. Okay, yeah, and he out. he's part of Drunk Theater out in Santa Monica. Yeah, now he's, he's on the UCB team, yeah. He's on the UCB team. He's a terrific guy, and he took every online class, probably not just with WGIS, like everywhere. He's, one, he's you know, improv fanatic, and um, he's really good. And yeah. and so, yeah, he, he's, he's a connector. I think it's uh, – it kind of speaks to that because, I you know, Sahil is someone I think we both can agree. Loves improv and just yeah. is looking for whatever he can do and – during the pandemic, you kind of gave this space, you opened this, and whether it was intentional or not, I think it came from, you know, just, I guess, a lot of experience and just a lot of care, because you know that, like, well, I can't, yeah, I can't give these people, you know, 
yeah, lessons that they can't apply. Right. You teach a class. They want to try it. Yeah. You know, even if it's an online show, which at first during the pandemic felt quite limited, although it ended up being really fun. Online improv was way better than I feared it was going to be. And the good side is you get a community of far more varied people than you ever would in person. Yeah. I, I think uh, especially that's what I've been really uh, amazed by is just uh, how many different types of, you know, because normally coming up here, it's like, oh, we know who does improv. It's yeah. Comedians, actors. Actors. Yeah. A lot of professionals. Yeah. Maybe pretty young. Yeah. People trying to get out of their shell. But yes. Now well, we start to see that there's people all over that. Just there's a lot of senior citizens online who maybe don't, wouldn't do it in person. There's a lot of just quite shy people mm -hmm. who, if they don't have to leave their home, they're maybe more brave. Um, international people sort of rural and kind of aren't near a theater. Yeah. And also just true blue improv nerds who eat that, you know, they might be like in the middle of London or Toronto or somewhere with a huge improv scene, but they just are hungry for things they've read about on improv blogs. They're like, Oh, I can, you know, whatever. I could take a class from Will Hines and learn about this UCB garbage. Let me learn it or whatever. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, um, and doing that, have you seen a lot of different like styles, a lot of different philosophies? Yes. Again, we're just so used to like LA and, and yeah, UCB well, style. all improv theaters are so insular, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you get attached to a community, that's your whole improv world. And, you know, I, I studied in New York's where I sort of came up and, um, I was UCB, right? I, I didn't know there were other improv theaters there, Magnet, Pit. I didn't really know what was going on there. Chicago theaters like Second City IO didn't know what was going on there either. I, the biggest teams in the world at Chicago, I wouldn't have heard of in New York. Mm -hmm. I was way more familiar with like the 50th best team in the indie circuit <laughs> of New York City than I was with like the best teams in Chicago. Yeah. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I think everybody's like insulated. And so online broke that open. Like I taught students with lots of different backgrounds and became friends with people with lots of different ways of thinking. It was really, really fun. Yeah. And I've noticed with your, your blog post, we'll talk more about your blog later oh, on. Yeah, let's but do it. I've noticed that uh, it's also kind of expanded your horizons and kind of uh, uh, change your ideas. Oh, I, I love that. Thank you. I love that take of it. I mean, well, maybe I'm, I'm off base, but it's always just like, oh, wow, that's something I never heard before. And I wonder how much of that is influenced by just your exposure now to something different. Yeah. Probably a lot of the, my improv blog that I started just a couple months ago, um, a lot of it is in reaction to UCB training, mm -hmm. which I love, but it occupies such a huge part of my brain that I've gotten hungry for variety. Mm -hmm. um, and so maybe I get more excited about ideas that aren't so prominent at UCB. Um, I'll probably, I'll probably backlash back later. You know, I'll be a, it'll be a hardcore, like, pendulum yeah, back. forget these other ideas. <laughs> um, UCB or die. UCB or die, baby. Yeah. But in the meantime, it is, it is a uh, great, interesting because I think like, most of us, like you mentioned, are just so insular. So we kind of stick to one community, one POV. So to have someone yeah. be like that, like, Hey, you know, just counter thought, just a, a chance to look at like, maybe like, I think you had like a, a, a one about being more silly and be more playful. Oh yeah. And it's just like, yeah, I guess that is a bit more like, Again, reassuring, validating, and it just uh, applies to like, yeah. I need a better word. Everybody hates the word silly. Um, mischievous, you know, uh, there irre was a, irreverent. There was a, a nice um, uh, interview uh, on Las Costa Rica's podcast with Seth Meyers. 
And the word he kept using to kind of describe this style of uh, comedy is uh, whimsical or whimsy. Yes, that's a great word for it. Yeah. Um, I, agree. I haven't heard that interview. I'm sure it's great. But uh, yes, that that word sounds totally right. Um, and then also going on right now, the big buzz all across LA is the uh, We Just 3X3 Oh, really? Oh, great. I love that. Yeah, so we're kind of right in the throes of it. So, so today is... Today's uh, the end of the first round. End of the first round. And then next week's the semifinals, and then next week's the finals. How how how? What's your impression so far of our competitors and of the... the um, I just... The main the thing I notice is just how excited everybody gets. Like, I love 3Prov. Um, so it just... You know, this is just an exhibition tournament, right? We don't even have a prize. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think we are going to get little trophies, but like... Um, your your teammate Kara Papeki is 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 helping me, um, uh, come up with some 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 prizes, but um, small, but yeah, <laughs> there's no real stakes other than just the fun of doing it. But seeing people get really into it is so exciting. I, I love it. Yeah, and you know, I can't speak for everybody, but I, it's not really the competition aspect. With so much, it is like it it is like the exhibition, like a chance to sh- yeah. I think it's just like big got. crowd. Do a set, have fun. You're not restricted by a difficult form. Yeah. Sets are pretty short. So you can see a lot of people. A lot of people play together who maybe haven't done so publicly. Mixture of experience levels. It's really yeah. fun. So just, I mean, there's no reason why anybody listening would know about this. I'll, so WGIS school that I founded, and then now I now I run it with Jim Woods and Sarah Claspel. For this, this is our third year, don't know, second year now doing a three-on-three tournament. And uh, we did an online one before that, but the second in-person one where, um, yeah, just what it sounds like. You People sign up in three prof teams and they each get like eight minutes and they just do a set. Audience votes, whoever wins advances. You were on the winning team last year, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Curly yeah. Sue. Are you bringing this up as a chance to brag about? No, your, uh... <laughs> no, no. I I wanna I wanna promote it. And I want people to come out to come see it because, uh, again, well, it's a free show. It's a free yeah. Friday, seven p.m. at the clubhouse. Uh, we ask for donations, but it's a it's you're of course we're totally happy to have people come for free and just support the show by watching, and it's really fun and it gives a chance for newer improvisers to get a big exciting show which is really precious when you're starting out yeah and that's actually and a supportive crowd too like uh everyone's into it like yeah. the, everyone the audience kind of enjoys every set yeah and that's kind of you know the reason main reason why i wanted to bring it up um is just like how how unique and how different how exciting it can get because you know there's class shows there's like you know house teams residency teams and there's a certain amount of like I don't want to say safety, but you are kind of just like, hey, this will be fine. We practice or whatever. But there's yeah. no stakes to it because I, I feel like if you're right, be- you're not going to get cut from a team or like you're not going to do. Yeah, uh, it's uh, over in two weeks and then that's it. And yeah, so this I, is like I a- hope it's more fun than competitive for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, we we do have teams and um, and we do have some students who take multiple classes and we and every and every Friday, two two student teams go, and the teachers play essentially. Um, so people do get to know each other. So I hope there is a core of a community that turns the three on three not just into fun improv, but like the feeling that you're getting a survey of like every, all the current players. Yeah, uh, you know, improv isn't just an art form; it's a sport. You know, it is 
what get, getting into an improv theater is like getting into a sport. Like I'm a baseball fan. Actually, I've kind of fallen off in recent years, but I've lifelong. I've been a baseball fan. And once you know, the teams and the players, you're, you're watching the game, not even really to observe the sport. You just want to see which teams do well, which, you know, the stories that are going on is the new kid who's 21 years old and brought up younger than anybody thought he, does he make good? Does the old veteran able to pull it off mm-hmm. when he's put back on the mound, uh, high stakes situations, who team players, showboats. Yeah. Even, even a losing team can be interesting if you're into the sport and improv when you're into an improv community, it's similar. You're like, Oh, these guys are the big dogs. They're these are the favorites. Let's see how they do. Maybe they do great. And like, oh, look at this young team of upstarts that nobody knows. Man, they crushed. Not only is it fun to watch a show that crushes, it's fun to see people that we didn't think were going to crush, crush. Yeah. That's like really exciting. That's exactly kind of the analogy I was going to make. Um, I don't, I'm not a sports person myself, but it's kind of like, and I, I was alive back then, but it's like, uh, like tournament jousting or, you know, knights having you those alive? tournaments was not so i can't you're denying pretty hard i'm sorry i don't know that's what the uh, i I just don't want to i don't want to seems like i don't want to ascribe uh uh, you know emotions and thoughts that may not be authentic but gotcha what what they make it seem like in the movies and in the storybooks is like it was all for like honor and people out here were jousting it's there there to entertain the king in the court but there's no dishonor there's no shame there's no competitive it's just at the end of the day here's a great knight and he is noble and everyone here is just so happy to celebrate one another. It's not like, wow, I guess next month I got to come, you know, train hard to beat that guy next week, which is what I, again, not knowing sports. I assume that's what some uh, American sports are like. For sure. I mean, it's all about, it's all, it's a lot about chest bumping and winning for sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I love the three on three. Yeah. We did it originally. We copied UCB. I mean, almost everything we did copies UCB in some fashion or deliberately doesn't copy, which is another form of copying. But, um, Kevin Mullaney was the name of um, uh, my level one teacher. And he was like a big um, fixture in the UCB New York scene. He was the first artistic director that wasn't Matt Besser. He ran the school. He helped pick Herald teams. He started cage match. He started in Chicago, brought it to New York, but he also, um, he started lots of UCB institutions, but he started the three on three tournament Thanksgiving weekend. All the, the regular shows all got canceled. And so Friday and Saturday night was just three prop comp- competition for whoever was in town. Real short, you know, two rounds on Friday, two rounds on Saturday. And and it became a tradition. And then in subsequent years, it was a multi-week affair. Mm-hmm. And so we stole it, you know. Thanksgiving time is three prop time for me. Wow. Okay. Well, it's yours now, baby. It's mine now, baby. I stole <laughs> it. I own it. I own it. I own the idea of competition. <laughs> yeah uh well again just want to say yeah thanks so much for 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 organizing it because i know it can be a lot uh but i'm gonna th- I a shout out should... to kara Papeki, who is one of the admins yeah. um at wgis and, and is doing a lot of work to to organize that yeah shout out to kara thanks so yeah. much for uh, uh she showed me a couple of those spreadsheets it's it's a lot of complicated stuff it's it can be a lot of thankless uh boring work to keep track of stuff and uh, it's nice to have a good improviser who's also organized to be the person to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, uh, are we ready to dive into it. our first segment? Yes. I'm all ready. right. Great. 
All right, we're going to go ahead and jump into our first uh, segment, which is going to be Improvster Syndrome. So, uh, Will, uh, yes. we kind of pre-talked about this. This is your opportunity to talk about your improv journey. Okay. But this is going to be uh, uh, unique and special for you because, you know, normally uh, improv journeys... They're much shorter for your guest, right? They're much shorter for my not guest. someone who's done it for 25 years. Yeah, exactly. They haven't been doing it since birth. Uh, yeah, I started <laughs> early. Uh, well, I'll, I'll do the beginning, I guess. Um, I was, I started, uh, well, I, I started when I'm in my late 20s. I was, um, a, I say a computer programmer, but I, I really, in my 20s, I drifted through lots of jobs. I was a journalist and then a HTML editor, barely, barely a programmer, and then taught myself a couple other things. And, um, and I, but I was really lost. Like I'm sure a lot of people in their 20s feel this way. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wasn't happy doing regular day jobs. I didn't have the confidence to do something like creative, but I wanted to do something creative. And so I just started in, in the, um, like when I was 27 or 28, I was living in Manhattan. I just started doing comedy things, but it was really, um, haphazard. I did get, you, did yeah. you, um, go to school in New York or did you live near New York? No, I, I grew up in Connecticut. I went to the university of Connecticut. Graduate, what brought you to New York in the first place? Just wanted to live in a city. Okay. You know, I grew up in a small, small city or big town called Danbury, Connecticut, like 75,000. Connecticut is a pretty rural place. Uh, mostly, I uh, went to the university of Connecticut, which is like a farm school that turned into a state school. So you're out in the boonies. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful place, mm -hmm. but. Um, and when you were in New York, what made you decide on comedy, like over like art or music or something? Yeah, well, I, I had no talent in music or art. Uh, I guess I thought I was funny. I felt like I was funny. Um, I felt like I, I mean, I certainly was a huge comedy fan. Like I absorbed a lot of stuff. But, you know, it's just one of those like honor students in high school who sat in the back and made jokes and then was tried to like, make creative funny things with my friends whether it was like i don't like a, a version of jeopardy that just made fun of all of our friends or music videos uh you know in a in a, in a pre-digital age when the technology was so limited that it was kind of fun to try to figure out how to use and um we like road tripped into manhattan to watch david letterman tapings when I graduated high school in 88. So this is when Letterman was like new. It was like, that's still kind of like, whoa, he's like the new cool thing. So I was a comedy fan, comedy person, but performing, I was such a shy, uh, uh, deadpan guy that like the idea of being an actor seemed crazy. And also, even though I thought I had like a comedic persona, mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily think I could make other people laugh. Like I could not imagine getting on stage and having anybody think I was funny. Um, so I, I kind like of a good sense of it though, like a good taste for comedy. Yeah. That I would like know what was funny. And I, I kind of imagined that if I just got near comedy worlds, I would find a place. I probably imagined that I would be doing like support or production. I didn't necessarily know, you know, like a, like a, I probably, you know, like design a website that featured comedians mm -hmm. or maybe, maybe run a newspaper that interviewed comedians or something like that, or, or work for a TV show as like a development 
talent. You just wanted to like work comedy adjacent or like in the yeah, proximity that, of it. You know, I wouldn't even have known enough about the business to be able to name that stuff, but I had some vague notion that if I just got near it, I'd find a way in somehow. Mm -hmm. Um, my, my brother's really funny and I guess I'll say something else. Sometimes I tell this part of my story it sounds dramatic, but it is, it is part of it. My mother died when I was uh, 16, she died of cancer. She was 40. She was a very funny lady. Funny lady. That sounds very 40s. Makes it makes <laughs> us like the 1940s. Oh, you're a funny lady. He's a funny lady. Hey, you know, <laughs> hey. She's a real brassy, brassy gal. <laughs> and uh, my two brothers and I were already friends. We sort of bonded in the wake of that tragedy. And we used kind of sarcasm and uh, self-deprecating humor as a defense mechanism. But her life was so short that I was sort of like, when I was graduated college, I was like, there's just no way I'm going to worry about when I'm 50 or 60. Like, I need to be doing something that I'm into now. I just didn't know what that was. So I, I was pretty willing to just, like, walk away from day jobs and change up situations, maybe more so than a lot of my peers. So... Um, like I, I was a journalist for a while and I worked at newspapers in Connecticut, really small weekly newspapers. And I moved to Boston with friends and tempted a hotel and worked for little newspapers, moved to New York when I was 26. Cause a friend of a friend had a job where I did this very like uh, day job thing of editing word documents so that I could upload them to Bloomberg news. Like I just would open a word document and change little settings at the top that in a very particular way uploaded to Bloomberg news. And if it got rejected, I'd figure out what was wrong and re-upload it. Oh, okay. Um, it was the kind of thing where they should have been able to automate it, but the systems were just a little too finicky. So they had a guy and I was that guy and I moved to New York and I was 26. And, um, and then I just started doing open mics and taking improv classes and, doing mime workshops and like storytelling things and just trying to find submitting essays to the village voice, hoping they would publish it, just trying to be funny. And then when I was 29, I took a class at the then new UCB theater and I loved it. It's interesting how a lot of things haven't changed. Yeah. Uh, you know, cause I think when you come out, you, you, everybody come kind of wants to do comedy that they don't really know where to begin or where to start. Yeah, there's mines, there's clowning, there's stand-up classes. Yep, they're all around. Things. They all just rise and fall in yeah. popularity, but they never go away. Submitting things, mm. to yeah, like Sweeney's or to you know tweeting it. Yeah. Uh, so you said uh, eventually you found found UCB. I had taken a couple of improv classes from other theaters, but UCB was different. I mean, it was 1999. The theater had just opened in New York. The UCB themselves had been in New York since '96 as a for-prov entity doing shows and teaching classes. But 99, they really started to like expand their school. And it was just like such a special time to be there um, because they were, unlike every other comedy place that I had done, they were very like apprenticeship, like do it. It, was, it wasn't just like theories. It was like, you have a class show. It's in our theater. Get your friends to go. Um, you're a student here. You get free. You can go to any show for free. Um, and we're going to promote shows that our main players are doing at other places in the city. And we want you to go watch those. And they had like meetings 
where all the students got invited and we were asked to like flyer on behalf of the theater. Now, on one hand, I guess that's exploitive. But on the other hand, I was like, no, I'm a I'm a part of it. Mm -hmm. They want me to be a part of this place. I, I loved it. And it was a relatively small community. So if you did happen to take four classes, you knew everybody. How how well like when you were starting off, like how big would you say the community was if you had to like ballpark it? I would say that there were um two hundred students total and there were there were probably still eight Herald teams. So there was like sixty-four players plus the UCB four, and there really weren't shows besides Herald Night. Um, no regular shows. What did uh, uh, I've always been really curious about this. Yeah, like yeah, this I, I love this. I love this time of my life too. Uh, of the two hundred people, how many like would you say that you like actually knew or like interacted? All with? of them. Really, that's great. Yeah, I mean enough to say hi. And then uh, uh, of the sixty-four people that were on the Herald teams, what did the you know the remainder of like the one one forty-four? What were they up to? I'm actually weirdly thinking it's two hundred and six. Let's say three hundred total. But okay. Um. There, I mean, everybody. Well, here's the thing: there was no improv in New York, so improv only existed when you took your class, and if you got on a Herald team, there was there were no indie teams. There was no place to do it. It was yeah. We formed practice groups amongst ourselves, and we would rent dance studios, hire a coach, do the exercises we did in class, or whatever the coach knew. But the coach probably only had done improv for two years. Like nobody in New York had done it. Not yeah, nobody, like, nobody, but almost nobody. And so you would just do it in a practice room and then go home and then wait for Harold night, go see ASCAT. Um, over the next, this is like 99, right? Like over the next five years, my generation of students found Black Box Theater and basically started renting and doing indie shows. Mm -hmm. So they kind of formed, but it was just, it was just the UCB community doing shows for itself at different stages. What was it like um, when you were first starting off taking those classes then? Cause I'm sure, you know, nowadays there's a training center, there's a textbook yeah. and there's so many shows that you can go. So for you, uh, you know, like what's the pitch to say, Hey, take, you know, pay for these classes. I'm going to tell you something. There was nothing like what, what it was remarkable to me was how unshiny the UCB theater was. And like the theater was empty most nights, like shows did not fill up. So the UCB themselves doing ASCAT were like a hit. Those shows filled up, but like Amy was not famous yet. She mm -hmm. was, I mean, you kind of, everybody could would believe she was going to be famous any day, but like she wasn't, she was like auditioning for SNL, but not on SNL and, doing bits on Conan O'Brien, but um, there weren't like famous people there. And the theater was a, you know, just pl plastic molded chairs and it looked, the, the bathroom was small and dirty and um, everything looked like crap. There was no liquor license. You couldn't buy drinks. Um, it was disorganized. It was run by improv students who were working for free. Mm -hmm. So it was, kind of badly run no disrespect to my friends who had those jobs you so know it was just really small and dirty and grimy and um i think the only reason people did it was the ucb4 were super good at improv like you'd watch ascat and just be like i want to do that 
I mean, that they, they just every Sunday renewed their credibility. They're just kind of like the model of like, wow, like that's there was nobody doing do it well. They did it well every Sunday. And then a couple of groups formed at UCB, the Swarm, Respecto Montalban, Mother, who also were really good. And so it was like those four groups sustained improv's credibility. Um, so it was just people like me who saw those shows and liked it. But it was like only comedy nerds. There were no like, there was no professional reason to take a UCB class. Nobody was famous. Not even, never mind, no students, no teachers were famous. Yeah. Like, but you know what it's like. You like improv. You it's like you get sucked into it. Like, it just nags at your brain because you just want to get better at it. Yeah, it's like this like never ending puzzle that you're like obsessed with. Um, and I, I guess I loved it. Uh, you know, kind of to bring back what we we're talking about earlier. This is kind of like. Uh, the the community that you've fostered with Weegis because it's these people yeah, that I mean, like... That's what influenced me. Like, yeah. uh, you know, um, when I first did UCB, it was so small. It wasn't just that everybody pitched in. It was just like anybody who stuck around, it seemed, would get a key to the place so they could like open up and like do a rehearsal at like 9 a.m. Sunday morning or like stay until midnight and do a tech rehearsal. Um, it felt very clubhousey. I mean, lowercase C clubhouse, although also like the clubhouse here in LA. Um, I did tech for a show that Brett Gelman and John Daly and this guy Vadim Newquist did. And I just being in a tech booth and running a board, I was like so excited. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, I'd never done any kind of theater stuff before. They were like, yeah, go up there. And somebody showed me how to do like the levers and, just felt rad and then the show starts and I'm like back there doing it. It felt like super fun. It's like you mentioned, it's like an apprenticeship, but you get like hands on experience because if you didn't come up doing theater or, you know, anything performative, it's like, oh, here's my chance to actually. And coaches were young, right? Like Billy Merritt was our coach, my group's coach. And Billy had done improv before UCB, but maybe six years before, like, you you didn't have to like it was impossible to reach a like guru status so i you know i'm sort of like let people coach early like yeah. the only way to learn is to do it pick people that you think care who are excited and smart you know, don't pick dummies and like let them fumble you know um and they'll get better. Like there's no there's no other way to learn how to coach other than coach. There's no other way to learn how to teach an improv class than teach one. That's a, a really great um, a segue into this next question I want to okay. ask, which is because uh, obviously over time you've worn a lot of different hats. Yeah, coaching, teaching. Yeah, you were uh, AD before, right? No, but I, I ran the school. I was the oh, Johnny. No, sorry, I was yeah, the Johnny Meeks of New York. Yeah. Uh, so you 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 know um, I guess not that you know, but you kind of speaking to it. Uh, uh, you have a, a feeling of what it takes to teach or what it takes to kind of step up. And what, what, what was it in you that made it finally make it realize like, Oh, maybe I want to start teaching or start coaching. Well, I was a, I took a million classes. I took like, um, I think I counted once. I think I took 30 UCB classes, you know, sketch and improv. And I got coached a lot. And, you know, I loved studying and practicing improv um so i had 
you know, it was all New York UCB, but I had a lot of different teachers examples of how to run classes and do stuff. Um, people really just started asking me to coach. I didn't seek it out. Actually, my first coaching gig was a Herald team. Mm -hmm. This team called Van Buren, Julie Brister was their coach. She was, uh, she couldn't make a couple of rehearsals. And my friend, Chris Gethard was on this team, I think. And he asked me to, or no, my friend, John Reynolds, what does it matter? Was on this team and he asked me to coach. And so I coached a Herald team. And then Julie um, moved from being a coach to being on the team. And so then I was coaching their old coach. I forget, my brain's mixing up how this was. But they loved me and they like put in a good word for me with other people. Um, so I really just kind of fell into it. Yeah. And that's the interesting thing I, uh, I've noticed about improv kind of coming into it. Uh, there's so much, like you mentioned, like uh, I think coaches and teachers, they get good by having seen and heard. They know what works and how to explain things in a way that's, you know, connects. And then if something doesn't connect or is not as helpful, they kind of leave it behind. But it's like this oral tradition where it's like, hey, I, this person taught me yeah. this way. And then yeah. I, I take what I need from it. And right. The fruit, when I was coaching that Herald team, I just came in with exercises. I really didn't give a lot of notes. I was just like, let's try this exercise. Let's try this. Mm -hmm. I saw Armando Diaz do this. I saw Ian Roberts teach this one. Let's do that. Um, I, you know, when I was going to Herald night every week, so I'd be like, this Herald team's doing this. Let's try that. So, um, I guess my credibility was having seen my, my main skill was having seen a lot. Yeah. Um, I think I just seemed like a teacher too. I think I just had that vibe. Well, I think like you mentioned, people came to you because, uh, and you know, uh, this is something that I've heard a lot of other coaches and teachers mention, which is just that like, when, you know, when you perform really well, people want to learn from you. They want to, they see what you have. They see what you're doing. Oh, but I was, I was a sought after coach before I was a good performer. Oh, I can't speak to that. I was not a good performer. Like I was, I got on Herald Night, but I I think I was one of the weakest players on Herald Night for a while. Do you think that was just And you? I thought I was going to get cut all the time. But do you think that's, uh, that was your own, maybe like subconsciousness? No. Oh, okay. I do not. <laughs> Other people are telling you? <laughs> I mean, they were telling me by like not asking me to do shows. Like I was never asked to like do any mashups or anything sure. special for a while. Um, I mean, people liked me as a human being. I did not feel disliked, but I did not feel strong doing improv. I think I, I'm guessing that people saw potential in me. They're like, he gets it. He's just putting it together to learn how to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, maybe, maybe I looked better than I remember comedically, but I definitely was not that impactful in shows. Like I, I did not make scenes funny. I didn't, I did not have comp. If, if we were short people on my Herald team and I was one of the ones there and I was almost always there, I was like, Oh man, we are in trouble. If it's like me and a couple other people. Well, uh, uh, let's and now, now I feel the opposite. Now I feel like, Oh, if I'm there, it's going to be fine. <laughs> not necessarily true, but I feel that way at least. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, yeah, let's talk about that. Cause I'm pretty sure there may be a lot of, uh, improvisers that feel the same way. Uh, what do you think it was, or when was it that it clicked where you, where you started to feel good about yeah. your voice and your so, abilities? Okay. If you're somebody who loves it a lot, but you're, you don't feel good at it. I think you're in a good spot. Like 
you know, if you watch a lot and you're and you're interested and you are enjoying your classes, it, it'll happen. You will get better. Um, you have to just keep trying different. You have to just keep getting reps and trying different things. For me, what clicked was game wasn't it for me. I was pretty good at like the analytical side of like, okay, if this is true, what else is true? You know, <laughs> if this is the game and the opening, this is the initiation. But I could get it in my head when I did it out loud. It didn't work. Like game did not work for me as a player. Um, I mean, it kind of, it kind of, kind of worked as for walk, I guess good walk-ons and stuff, but like initiating and I don't know, like what, what worked for me was uh, a Meisner class, Kevin Mullaney, the, my first, my level one teacher taught a class. It wasn't, it was not an official Meisner, but it was like a Meisner inspired improv class. So do you know about Meisner's? That's when we stuff? repeat things over and over again. There's lots of repetition. It'll click. One of the famous things is a blank dialogue where uh -huh. you have like four lines, you memorize it. It's mundane action. And you just say it over and over again to each other until the words are meaningless. Um, and what I took from that, if Sanford Meisner was alive, alive, you might say differently, but it, so we'd be on stage, right? Mm -hmm. It would be me in this, and it's a, this is a UCB improv class. Like we're on stage and like, we got our little four lines. Okay. Start doing them pretty soon. You got to memorize, say it. Yeah. And it was like, you have a blue shirt. Yes. I have a blue shirt. It has a stain on it. You've got a stain on it. It looks dirty. It's like, I hope I, I hope I'm not embarrassed at the party. You get a blue shirt. Yes, I get a blue shirt. There's a stain on it or whatever. Or maybe not even that complicated. And um, what I noticed was um, I became very sensitive to the tone that I was using. Mm. Like whether I was slightly irritated or happy or um, maybe, I don't know, flirtatious maybe or like or bored even. Uh, I started feeling that. And I started noticing that the classmates would laugh at those differences. It didn't matter what we were saying. The, the changes in tone got laughs. I started to really feel it. And then we also did exercises where, this was a brutal one. I can't believe we did this. You had to stand on stage. No dialogue. Everybody else watching. And then people shouted out what emotion it looked like you had. And you had to remain blank-faced, right? So I'd be like, okay. Got up there and I stood blank-faced. And people were like, he's angry. Or like, he's irritated by this. Yeah, it's and like, I, what's your resting face? You yeah, know, yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I wasn't, you know? <laughs> yeah. But I was like, oh, I guess I must look. Like, that is pretty brutal. I must look angry. <laughs> yeah, because you were kind of just like labeling but your face. Then they'd be like, oh, he's embarrassed now. It's like, oh, oh now, but they, people were not trying to be mean. They were like, oh, it, he feels better. And like, oh, he looks this or something. And I was like, holy Christ. That's interesting. There's this um, uh, 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 editing technique called the Kuleshov effect. Or it's a, I guess it's an editing, pheno editing phenomenon, which is that yes. same thing. You're familiar? Yeah, you just cut to a face. Yeah. Right. You cut to a face and based off of whatever the previous context was, like people ascribe meaning like, oh, now he's happy. And, and it's the same shot. And it just goes to show, I think uh, uh, when you do an exercise like that, like people can just throw, like even, even the, like he's embarrassed. You probably didn't look embarrassed, but they, because like I would be embarrassed if, you know, like people started laughing. It's that's like, true. That's true. Um, 
Yeah, that that was part of it. The the other thing was, but that gave you, I guess, more control of your face or more awareness. It made me pay attention to that like channel of information that was coming out. Right. And then then we started doing scenes. Um. Uh. Or not. We 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 got more blank dialogue and like. We were we would be told. To I can't remember now. We either got got told like what emotion to do. Or we would do it, and then we had to like say what emotion we naturally had, and it didn't matter if it made sense with the words. Um, and because I'd had practice paying attention, I'd be like, "Oh, I was happy when I was doing that." Um, so you, or I was this. You think that was like? Was it more so being able to transmit more information, or do you felt good after you started being able to like perceive and like read those? I started to realize. I started to see myself the way the audience was. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh." Oh, like, um, the audience is seeing anger and embarrassment and pride or joy or whatever way more than they're they're paying attention to what I'm saying. And so on the back, I mean, it transformed everything I did. So like, and I was on Herald Night, but I was on the worst team and I was maybe one of the worst players. And I started like, just like on the back line, focusing like on my feelings not not even changing them just like being where okay you are nervous and you're a little resentful so you gotta you gotta use that that's gotta be part of your move Mm -hmm. like it was more that i didn't like say oh get yourself happy i was just like the audience you can't fool the audience they're gonna see that you're nervous and like put upon so all right that's your character so whereas before if it was let's say it was a scene where like a guy is using outdated technology. He's addicted to very outdated technology. This was a real scene that happened. And I'm his house guest. So I'm going to come in and try to do a game move, right? I'm going to try to be like, hey, your outhouse needs more toilet paper. It's like, hey, my lantern's out of whale oil, right? Instead, I'm like, all right, where am I at? I'd be like, you're nervous. Nothing to do with the scene. It's because it's Herald Night. You're resentful because you're just like, wish you were better at this, right? Your guy is going to do that game move, but that's part of it. So I'll be like, hey, there's lantern. There's no whale oil. What do you want? And the audience would like pop so hard. And I was like, oh, this is what was missing. I was not acknowledging. It would be like if you walked into a scene with like a a pie on your face and you Mm -hmm. didn't talk about it. Right. The audience would be like, he doesn't know there's a pie on his face. This (laughs) guy, Or maybe maybe a better analogy would be like food on your face. They'd be like, oh, they don't know. He doesn't know he's food in his face. I'm embarrassed for him. Yeah. It's like a uh, self-awareness. Yes. It's like, I know, I know now what I'm bringing in here. Right. Right. And it weirdly made me more playful and it transformed everything. And I'm, I don't consider myself a talented actor except that this is an ability of a good actor to, to be aware of that vibe that you're putting out. And then once I was doing that for a while, I did start to be able to kind of change it. For me, I became aware of like certain vibes that I was in a lot, like certain grooves that yeah. I just sort of have. I have, a, I have a playful, happy, mischievous one. I got a high status jerk. Yeah, yeah. I got like a kind of sad and defeated thing or whatever. So those are available to me. I think it's maybe also like, yeah, once it's once you acknowledge that part of it, you can be more intentful. Otherwise, you know, again, to use your example, if you had a pie in your face, you weren't aware of it. You would never know to, I don't know, wash your face. Or well, you want if you if 
to use this insane example, if I'm doing improv and I have a real pie in my face, yeah, I gotta use it. Yes, I gotta play. That's a guy. all people are. Yeah, I have to play a guy who has a pie on his face, because the audience is only paying attention to that. But it's like that, but with emotion. If I am so happy for whatever reason, I gotta be a happy guy. I have to, <laughs> and because it's improv, I can change what I can pick what I'm saying so I can make it work easy. Uh, and suddenly I just was playing with like, I mean, this is so dumb to reminisce, but, but I was so happy to find this. Cause I was like, this is what I'm missing. Yes. Now I have like presence on stage. Now, like the audience is rooting for me yes, or they're something on your like side. that. They really yeah. They're like, you. Oh, he hears us or I don't yeah. know, something like that. And I just like became fearless I mean, I was already kind of good at the analytical stuff. You know, I could yes. like remember the opening, remember the, now I could do both, you know? So now I could come in with that vibe. And if I'm playing with somebody who was like a robot who just wanted to do game moves, I'm, I'm down. I'll tamp down the feeling. and But I, I can't totally get rid of it because I got a pie on my face. I got to use it or whatever. And um, it transformed everything for me. Yeah, I think that sounds very pivotal. I think that's something that's, you know, again... Most people maybe feel that way, but they haven't been able to like put to words. So it's great. That it's like it's like to... it's like when you have a show where you are on fire. Maybe not even fire. You're just it's good. It's effortless. Everything you say is kind of interesting. You got ideas. You, it's it's not even just you. It's your team. Um, and then another show. It's the opposite. Nothing's working. The audience hates everything you say. The difference that happened was I started learning how to put myself into that like flow state. Yeah. More. It, it's interesting that you bring this up because I I have noticed you know I think that's something that a lot of people myself included have like struggled with but it's something that there's not really a lot of classes on and there's right. not a lot of, people don't really know that no one's ever just like it's hard to teach David you got a big smirk on your face we got to use that this you know? this class I took from Kevin Mullaney who is now teaching at WGIS by the way um you snagged him snagged him like <laughs> of course he was one of my favorite teachers um he hired me to be a teacher. I guess now I've hired him, sort of. He came to me asking if he could do a class, and I was like, please. Wow, back scratching the backs. That's right. It's the, the old boys network. <laughs> uh, the old bald white boys are hiring <laughs> each other for their improv schools. Um, but Millennium, we did, it was eight weeks, right? And it was, he wasn't a Meisner teacher. He was kind of guessing. And a lot of people hated it. It was 16 people. This was an advanced class. We'd all paid like, I think it was $300 then, not like 500 like it is now or whatever. And there was no show. And people just didn't show up after like two weeks because we were just doing repetition exercises for the whole first day. And the, and, and the, the dividends hit me like in week five or six. And um, I mean, I, man, I, I really remember that. There, there, were, other, there were other sort of big uh, breakthrough moments, but that was a big one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and so then I guess what advice would you have? Again, I'm, I'm sure there's so many other improvisers listening that yeah. maybe feel that same way. They're just like, I feel that there's something else. I, I also doing. wanted to say uh, thank you for asking me about it because I hadn't thought about it in a while, but that was like a really special time for me. Also, I was like 32. Uh, I was a computer programmer and none. I wasn't worried about getting married. I wasn't worried about having kids. Maybe I should have been. I wasn't worried about day job stuff. I just wanted to get good at improv. And I didn't even care what that got me. I just needed to know for myself that I could do it. And 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 it happened. And not all the time. And 
I had tons of bad shows, but I got comfortable and I really could have walked away and been happy. Like it was, I was so satisfied that I had reached a certain level and like unlocked that mystery. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, and I, before that I had felt so old, I was so self-conscious about being 31. Uh, I think everybody feels old as soon as you're older than 25 doing improv, maybe even younger, but, um, and, uh, and of course now I look back and I think how young 31 is. Um, but I, I felt silly with these kids from NYU who were better at it than me. And when I got to that level, all of a sudden it was so joyful. I, I no longer worried about, it. I was just like, Oh no, this is just something I enjoy doing. Um, I mean, I was very grateful for the UCB to exist so that I could find it. I mean, it changed everything in every way that I did it. Like conversations, I'd be aware of the pie on my face or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and stuff. So uh, it was big. Yeah. Sorry. So my advice for improvisers, is that what you said? Uh, yeah. Cause I, I think, you know, you were able to find this Kevin Laney class and gave you a chance to unlock this like self-awareness, but like since He's not, unless you're going to offer that at Weegis, how would you recommend some other improvisers get a better sense of like how the audience sees them? I mean, just, just even deciding to be aware of it is a big step. Yeah. I mean, basically it's like <clears throat> the emotion that you bring in, the audience is going to see it. You can't lie to the audience. They will see what you're really feeling. So use it. And when, once you're aware of that, it's not that hard to do. Uh, Maybe it is. It's not that hard to do a simple version where it's like, I'm feeling nervous, so my character's nervous. Now, if you're thinking, well, what if I get endowed as a different emotion? Okay, then you play it. But you rarely do. You get endowed with facts and and behaviors and pieces of data. It's rare that somebody says to you, you're nervous. It happens, but it's rare. What I'm saying is you'll be able to like use it. Mm -hmm. and it. And it will... It will like supercharge your improv. You still got to say yes to all the facts that are given to you, but you can. Um, so I guess like use the feeling that you have. Um, it's a way of being honest. And um, take an acting class. I mean, if you really want to get good at improv, you should take a sketch writing class and you take an acting class in addition to your improv classes. Or... And if you're like, man, I'm broke already. I can't take two more classes. All right, there's got to be a cheap way to do this. Read an acting book. Sanford Meisner has a book. Meisner on acting. Get that book. It's eight bucks. Uh, Michael Shirtliff, Audition. Uh, it's great. It's a great little simple practical book on acting. Um, there's no good sketch writing book, unfortunately, that I know of. Yet. Not yet. Someone's going to write it. Someone's, Someone's going to write this, it. Someone's going to write it. And write it. But... Um, yeah, take an acting class or just like you can make game moves all day. And if I mean, if you don't play game of the scene, you're going to be hurting. But if you don't embrace your real person as you do it, no one's going to care. It's going to look fake. That's my advice. Awesome. Really great advice. Uh, uh, and again, thanks so much for, yeah, I guess taking all you've learned over these past 25 years and kind of helping us like distill it. Uh, into it's nice that you ask. I like the way you think about improv. I think you're like a really good analyzer of it. I yeah, I think uh, I'm I'm similarly in 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 your boots, uh, where I'm just thinking like, yeah, how can I get better? So whenever I talk to people, when I watch improv, when I take it a class, whenever I talk to other improvisers, it's always like, what are you doing? What's your approach? And how can I 
you know, take what's going to work for me. And then have you talked about this on this podcast? What's a breakthrough you've had? Uh, me personally. Yeah. Improv wise. Uh, yeah, I think what you said earlier about sketch writing is tantamount. It's so important, especially when it comes to UCB improv. Yeah. When we're talking about other improv, I don't really know how helpful sketch writing is going to be. But if you're doing UCB style improv, game based improv, and if you are, uh, if you take a UCB sketch writing class, or I guess any sketch writing class, you were going to understand like the the pacing, the cadence, the rhythm of a comedy, how how frequently game moves should happen, and how frequently they should be like you know like rested or like put on pause. So that was like the big change for me. Once I took a, a sketch writing class and actually wrote it out, I realized like, you know, pages a minute. Oh, that first page is really slow. Oh, second page, we kind of want to attack it in a different way. And then that's when like pages three and four are kind of like game move, game of reaction, game of reaction, game of reaction. That's when I was like, oh, now I know kind of a rhythm of how I need improv scenes to be. And that allowed me to, like you mentioned, be self-aware, like, hey, we are, we just said a lot. We just threw out a lot of exposition. Let's slow down because if this was a page, that would be a lot of, you know, like big yeah. thing. Yeah. So uh, that's how I approach it, at least from a more analytical standpoint. Still working on the performance side. I might, might have to end up taking one of those uh, acting classes <laughs> or read that Meisner book to, to figure that part out. But thanks so much. Well, my pleasure. Uh, all right, we're going to go ahead and jump into our uh, next topic now, which is going to, or uh, next segment, which is going to be our topic of the week. Now, I'm really excited. I threw you a couple of suggestions. I'm really decided, yeah. uh, glad that you decided to pick heightening. Okay. I think that this is a, uh, this is one of the things that I think is so easy when people start off, but then once they start learning game and once they start, you know, uh, uh, putting it into effect, th I, th I, I, I think heightening is where people get into their heads. Okay. Yeah. Tell me what you think about it. So um, first of all, I read your uh, Substack blog about it, and I thought it was really interesting the way that you uh, uh, maybe redefined exploring as as horizontal yeah. heightening. But that is really important because I think, again, people are so fixated on heightening that they don't explore. Yep, right. So that's why if you just say, hey, you're still heightening, it kind of pats on the back, say, hey, don't worry. It's okay to, it's okay to explore yeah. because you're heightening horizontally now. Yes, and I think um, when people first start off, people are, are uh, they want to be funny. They want to hit those game moves. Yes. So they'll try to heighten too quickly before they understand. So let me say the terms and you tell me if, tell me if you want to redefine this. Okay. But like heightening, heightening is when after something funny's happened in a scene and you want to like play with it basically. And you, you kind of like the most obvious way to heighten is to repeat it bigger. You know, it's a pattern. Um, uh, you know, and like the example I gave before, somebody's really into old technology. So they say they don't like the iPhone. They use a BlackBerry. That's the first unusual thing. And then the next thing is like, no, they don't have a, they don't have a, uh, they, they don't use a printer. Like they write things out longhand. They don't have a bathroom. They use an outhouse. Each of these is like more absurd. It's like mm -hmm. bigger in terms of absurdity. And then like, you know, they got a, you know, they cook by fire. They use the Magna Carta as an instrument of government or whatever. Yeah. Um, they pray to Zoroaster instead of any modern religion or something. And uh, that that's that's traditional heightening, and and uh, and UCB calls that heightening, and it's very pattern oriented. It's like mm -hmm. beat the pattern bigger, and then um, 
there's also exploring, which is usually like you, the most easy, basic way to explore is to say why. What is the motivation that is creating this weird? Why does this person like old technology? Yeah. Usually it's a philosophy, you know, like he doesn't trust newfangled things. Tried and true, you know, it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. And or, then, or just like new stuff is corrupt. Yeah. New stuff is evil and old stuff is pure. That's enough of a why. That tells us this person's emotional kind of thing. <clears throat> and then using that pattern and that why, you can start to make other decisions about this person that when you do them, it'll surprise the audience, but it also kind of fits what they know. And that makes them laugh. Yeah. So, right. Why would you say, how would you describe I, I, I mean, I think it's, I'm biased because I learned that terminology first. So I am going to. Yeah. Heighten Explorer. I like Heighten Explorer. It. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing about exploring that I think it used to get taught a lot. I'm not seeing a lot of coaches or a lot of teachers using the term, but like, you know, if this is true, what else is true? Yeah, no. Yeah. That's huge. And I think that that is something that uh, uh, sometimes can also get lost in like, what are we doing? Cause I think, I think a lot, I, you know, I'll speak personally and also just with improvisers that I've, um, you know, worked with more recently asking why, or having to come with a justification, people start to panic a little bit. Yes, they do. It's a, it's a high pressure situation. Cause they know that like, I, I think, and you're so, um, experienced at it. You gave out like three or four. Yeah. That's the other problem. Sometimes people, once they get good at it, they throw out three or four justifications rather yeah. than picking one and sticking to it. Yeah, that's true. So what I really like about, um, your idea of, um, uh, horizontally heightening is they discover it not in discussion or justification, but in, in action. So right. If, so I'll say what David's referring to, because there's no way that everybody who's watching this read that subsection sure, knows that it exists. Yeah. Give the context. You're right. So like it's, it's, so UCB says heighten and explore. And those are subsets of if this is true, then what else is true? If this is true, what else is true is like the king maxim of playing the game and then heightening and exploring are kind of within that. Um, I was saying the terms I just personally use is vertical versus horizontal. <laughs> I don't know why this works for my brain, but vertical means do the same thing again, bigger. I can just feel it getting higher in terms of absurdity and exploring is like expand the, the base of the story. I guess the reason I use the word heightening is it like if on stage, there's like two people playing a game, right. And you're heightening, they're just getting bigger and more absurd, but yeah. there's nobody else. And it's horizontal heightening, which is an ironic oxymoron, but like who else is in their lives? Like who are the other people? What, what else is in the universe where this game is showing up? And uh, you know, um, to help, uh, if, if you can watch the video, you can see Will doing the little uh, figures. But uh, uh, there's a graphic that you included with your article, which I thought was really helpful, which is the different wavelengths. So when we're talking about vertical heightening, uh, it's like an amplitude. So if you think about like a wave, sorry, this is going to get really mathy and yeah, right, right, right. technological, but like an amplitude, the amplitude of the how wave How high gets the higher. highs are and how low the lows exactly. are. Exactly. And I think that's um, if you don't, and the other side being frequency, if you don't expand the frequency of it, you're only going to expand one wavelength. So that means you're only going to play the game in like one dimension. Yes. And uh, 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 having to explore gives you a chance to now heighten on that next wave and then another right. wave and ride it out and more amplitude can get played out. 
really the UCB terms are better. I this is one of those things where I'm I'm giving alternate mm. terms, but like I'm not saying that I, I don't I don't think they're better. Well, I, how about this? I they're, think... they're just different ways of saying the same thing. So it's just like sometimes a new way of saying yeah. an old thing makes it wake up to your brain. Well, yeah, and like that's something that happens a lot. Uh, whenever I do teaching, since I teach technology, we have to use very specific terms, and those terms don't always connect people. So sometimes you have to try analogies, you have to try different terms, and eventually something you say or or, or some you know uh, um, analogy you use will connect a little bit better. So that's what I will say is for some folks that again maybe put too much importance in heightening or you know exploration was too vague. I think the idea of heightening horizontally may connect with them because now they're just you know thinking about turning their heads to the side. Right. So to use the example I said before, if the game is a guy who is obsessed with old technology, mm-hmm. vertical heightening or playing the pattern very narrowly is just like what other old technology does he have? Yeah. And you I know, think we'll gas out. Eventually you'll run, run out. out of things. It works for a while, but you'll yeah. run out. I think you'll run out soon. I think you'll run out after four. Well, even if you don't run out, people, the audience is going to get ahead of you. Yeah, it just gets old. I think it's funny. But now how do you apply that to other things? So now if he only uses old technology, we have to explore sideways. So if he's also using old technology, is he eating old food? Is sure. He, uh, what, uh, what I do yeah. is I try to expand the story of his life. Yes. So what is he? where does he work? You know? Someplace old. I'm going to say he works for like, you know, what I might do is try to pick a normal job and apply his thinking to that job. So like he works for CVS, you know, but he's always trying to get people away from the pharmacy and trying to get them into like salves and tonics. Right. Um, Or his, he comes, I try to think like, where does he, where did he grow up and go to college? You know, like maybe he went to MIT and got thrown out um, for being, for refusing to use like calculators, computers yeah. or something like that. Maybe he took the engine out of his car, he cut little holes in the floor and he's running around like a Flintstones peddler. Yes. Um, and if he did that, then maybe he is a bike messenger. Like, um, and, and the, so Let's let's say we do that. Let's say somebody makes the joke, <coughs> took the engine out of his car. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, he's a bike messenger now. He loves his bike. Bike's way better than a car. Bike messenger. What does a bike messenger do? Drives all around the city, you know, sees a lot of corporations. Could there be a way to play his game in the offices of different corporations? Mm-hmm. Does he bike message to like, you know, Chat GPT's office? And tries to talk them into using a you know string pull uh, doll in place of a Chat GPT or something like that, and then kids are now doing research papers and Chat GPT only says like four things, mm-hmm. whatever. Like the 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 horizontal move should get you to a new arena where you can play the old game. Yeah, uh, 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 and gives you a new again like. Uh, uh, just like a, a new dimension, new level to heighten that now. Cause I yeah. in that aspect of it. Yeah. So something I wanted to ask you about, cause I think that this is something that's again, some people, you know, this is like a lot of math. And I think that right. people that take to math very well, get this. They love quickly it. Quickly and very easily. The writers love it. Yeah. The writers and the standups who <laughs> the standups, the, the, take it the, in robots, prob, they love it too. 
But uh, uh, when, it, when it comes to folks that maybe don't usually operate that way, what would you say are some maybe some tips or some tricks that you have? Because I think that there's two there's two pitfalls. We'll start with the first pitfall. First pitfall is you fall into plot a lot of times because yeah. you mentioned, yeah, you know, so like homework play, like, oh, what's his job like? People might get stuck on like the, yeah. the drama of, yeah, he just got fired because he's been using right, a typewriter. Right, right, right. Exactly. So how would you say maybe it's a good way to like avoid that pitfall to like, hey, let's let's play the game, not play the, the story of the plot. Okay, great. Uh, see, I like the way you think about this stuff. It's totally true, but plot is not bad as long as it doesn't take. Oh, tell that to my 301 coach. I'm as long kidding. as it doesn't take center stage. Yeah. Like you can follow plot as long as you find the game in the new place. Yes. Then you're fine. In fact, it's good because the audience is following plot. Audience thinks in terms of plot. So you start to follow the plot. You continue the story. Audience like, I know where this is going. He's going to get fired. He's going to like, he's going to trick that guy into giving him money. He's going to like sleep with that person. No, he's going to like use old technology here now too. And the audience won't be expecting it. So you can follow plot as long as you take game with you. To completely ban plot doesn't work. Yeah. You just have to, plot can't be the main goal. But it can be a device that you use to find the game in a new place. I mean, it's just like a time dash is plot. Time dash second beats, right? You do second beat of a herald and you move forward in time. You have followed plot. You've made some decision about how their lives have progressed. Mm -hmm. As long as that's not the point, it's fine. Um, but like you say, it, it's a pitfall. Like people get like drawn into the drama and the irony. It's like, no, we're going to do the same thing in a different, or we're going to find a way to echo that same mentality in a new way. Um, um, okay. Yeah. Also like, also, okay. So if it feels too mathy, which it, it can, I guess it is mathy to another way to think about it is music, like tone. Like if you're an old technology guy, maybe, maybe this guy has a way of talking, you know, like a crotchety, a crotchety old man, you know, like, ah, get out of here, you kids or your human, whatever, blah, 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 blah. That, that could be a way that you could find his love of old technology, that voice. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe there is a, you know, these are like training wheels things. Maybe there's like a little, a catchphrase or a mantra that this guy says, you yeah. know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it or something. That could be your way that you find your game in a new situation. Right. Without thinking too much. Yeah. You're the, it ain't broke, don't fix it guy. That that might be easier. So like, no matter what happens, you can find a way to like apply that thinking. Yeah, I, I uh, like that music analogy. I think that might work better for what I was trying to say rather than having to make it too complicated. But like when, you, like when you're when you writing a, a second verse, don't just keep the rhyme. I think that's what a lot of people focus on. Like, oh, just bring the rhyme, the rhyming word with me. But don't forget there's also melody, there's rhythm, there's tone. So you have to bring a lot of that stuff from the same from the first verse into your second verse. Otherwise, if all you do is, you know, change everything and then just keep the rhyme, you're going to be like, I'm kind of lost. Yeah, my level three teacher... Uh, Armando Diaz, I remember him saying, learning second beats. He goes, if the first beat is somebody going, ah, scary monster noise, and then somebody else going eep, in fear, the second beat's got to be that. It's got to be, ah, mm -hmm. no matter what situation, time dash, analogous, whatever. 
we got to get to ah, like when he and that did something to my brain in a good way. I was like, oh, it's really it can't the core of it is pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's more like finding the same game again, not heightening. He- heightening is more like rippling. Jim Woods, my uh, the guy who runs WGIS with me, me him, me and Sarah Claspel run it. Jim likes to use the phrase ripple effect, like you throw a pebble into a pond and the ripples go out. So if this guy is into old technology, where has it rippled out to? What are his right. children like? What have his neighbors had to put up with? Yeah. Um, and maybe this is plot a little bit, but I'm finding ways to play the game every single time. So, yeah, I, I think uh, another really great analogy way of uh, explaining it. Yeah. Also great. Um, yeah yeah that's yeah. gonna hit that's gonna hit i like that i like that i still use it yeah uh, I'll, I'll be like on the back line be like what's the ah e like yeah. action reaction mm-hmm. the other uh pitfall that i want to bring up in terms of like when people try to explore and heighten is sometimes they might bring it somewhere or or, or introduce it in a in a setting or a situation where it loses its comedic irony and it's not weird anymore. So if, right, for right. instance, they, ju- they rationalize it. They make yeah. it make sense. The, exactly. Yeah. So if it's the uh, old technology, then you take it to like, I don't know, like a bunch of steam, like a steampunk convention. And then now it loses. Yeah. Its, if he works, you know, if he works at a steampunk convention, it makes complete sense. There's no, there's nothing funny. Yeah. And everyone's like, Oh yeah, that's, that's old Willie. He, he has the best steam engines. We love this guy. Yeah. The only way to make that funny is to do a meta scene about how there's nothing funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to just say like, well, that all makes sense. And I've got nothing to, you know, nothing seems unusual to me here. Like it's the only way to play that. Um, Yeah. It's a pitfall, but there's usually a way to find it. Like, like maybe I wonder, I'm just making this up now, but maybe it's like heighten like a comedian and explore like an actor mm. and they'll work. Like, you know, so vertical heightening is comedic heightening and horizontal heightening, which is a contradiction, is actually heightening. It's like make make a make an emotionally true decision. Mm-hmm. So let, let's even use the steampunk one. Let's say you explore this guy and you bring him to a steampunk convention. Now, David, you and I know mm-hmm. this is a mistake. You're going to an area mm-hmm. where the game isn't unusual anymore, yeah. right? But I would say that even though I agree it's not a good choice for the comedy. It's all right. We'll find a new way to play it here. You know? Yeah. Maybe the, yeah. A lot of times the way out is through. So, all right. Steampunk convention, you said, right? Like mm-hmm. what happens at a steam? What is the, what is the normal course of action? Uh, you got booths and people. Yeah. Showing you their wares. Like, Hey, check out. Do you like uh fountain pens? This is one you got to, Suck through a straw and blow out, or something. <laughs> just like that. You got it. Well, I already like that. <laughs> um, but just trust that if you follow the normal course of action, that something will come along yeah. if you're looking for it to let you go. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, or something like that. Um, also, like games, you know, um, gently challenging the absurdity of something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> lets you find new ways to heighten. Like the one you just said, right? Like sucking ink out through a straw and blowing it. That's not steampunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not like, that was not done in the late 1900s or late 1800s um, in London. That's not how they did fountain pens. Like it's old technology, but it's not steampunk. So if I'm in that scene, I could gently challenge you, David, 
we might find a new facet of the game, which is that you like technology that's old, so old that it's like useless. Even the other old technology people, it's not yeah. accurate, so they don't like it. It's like almost have to like one up them. I was like, well, I know you're using steam engine stuff. I, I think even that's too advanced. Yeah, everything has to be powered by your lungs. Yeah, it should be human human breath powered. Yeah. I don't know. There's usually a way to find it. Also, what we're talking about is changing a scene so that it can go from two minutes to like six minutes. It's still not that long is what I'm saying. Yeah. You're, you don't need to like. Uh, yeah. It's like we're, 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 we're talking about giving you like two more moves. Three yeah. maybe. I remember. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but um, a couple of years ago, I took a class with you and you had a really good analogy that kind of stuck with me. And I'm wondering if you still use it, if you still see it this way. But when you were talking about like, like heightening and finding something that's unusual and whether you should like attack it or leave it, you use a clock analogy. Oh yeah, right. And you said that I like, don't always do this because it's too hard to explain. Yeah. So uh, and you know we'll just like if you want to try to explain it, I don't know, but it was like okay. So all right, this is like how weird is too weird. Yeah. So okay, this is somebody tell me a simpler way to say what I'm about to say because. But all right, picture a clock, and we're just going to use the right half of the clock from noon to six. Mm -hmm. So when the hands are at noon, that is normal. That is a normal situation. And as the hands get away from noon and go down to six, it's weirder and weirder and weirder until it's completely opposite of normal. Yeah. And so... And this is for like when you're on the back line trying to think of how to add to a scene. And you're like, is it worth adding this? So guy likes old technology. Yeah. First one is he likes BlackBerry more than iPhone. Yeah. I'm going to say that's not too weird. So I'm going to put that at like, it's at one. It's like if the clock's at one, it's mm -hmm. like a, just a touch away from normal. It's a good place to start. So like, if a move is like two notches over, it might be something like. Um, he drives um, like an older car, like a car from like the 90s. Yeah. He only likes to drive 1991 Tercels. Mm -hmm. The 2000s is too newfangled. Like now this is like getting to the point where it just seems inconvenient for him. Yeah. And also those cars, that's that's not like so old that it's like getting you anything. It's not like a Model T where it's like an interesting affectation. It's just sort of like a dumpy old car. Yeah. Yeah. So now we're like it, but it's possible, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say we're at like at the two range. You can keep pushing it, you know? And then like he likes, like the one I said before, he, he uses the Magna Carta as his form of government, you know, the old English yeah. constitution. It's a terrible one. It's so complicated, but it's also just like, what do you mean? You don't get to pick what governs you. Mm -hmm. It's really weird. It's complicated. I'd put that down at like four. Four or five, yeah. Like we're far away from the noon to the point where it's so weird that it's distracting. Mm -hmm. I think that's bad. Yeah. And then if you come around to six, six is the opposite, which is a special place. Yeah. Uh so it's like instead of an iPhone, you use like the exact opposite of an iPhone, which would be like... um. Telegram or something like that. Um, uh, or an iPhone is digital, right? And it's portable. So I guess the opposite of an iPhone would be like a, 
A landline, yeah, like a landline would be like. What's one of these called? A phonograph, I guess. Like it, like a rotary, yeah, like yeah, it'll, yeah. the old like. Wind up phones. Yeah, operator Parkside five one one seven. Exactly. Um. Yeah, I remember that really helped. Uh, uh, so like that, frame that, things for me because I was because people will overswing. You know, they'll they'll put weird things that are like down at four, and it's like, well, it's so weird that it like kind of disrupts the yes. scene. You needed one. The and sweet two spot to is two. Like yeah, really, twelve minutes past. I decided was the ideal yeah. spot. Just like a weird, but like possible. Right, and and what also uh, uh, I got took away from that is uh, kind of like if somebody does heighten it to. I know three or four yeah. o'clock. Then you jump back in with two o'clock. It doesn't work anymore. No, yeah, the audience won't. Like, I just for that. saw you uh, perform, you know, heart surgery with, uh, you know, stone tools, and now yeah. you you have an old pager from the eighties. That's not funny anymore. Right? Yeah, yeah. You can't go back. Yeah. So I remember that, like, like it really tempered me to be like, oh yeah, you you have to like kind of slowly gas up and rev up the engine because if you floor you it, floor it, you can't go back. Yeah, you can't go back. And also, once you floor it, yeah, the we may end up like breaking reality. I, I'm pretty good at like coming up with specifics fast. So what I will, the reason I don't, I don't always teach that it's because it's useless to a lot of people. Like you have to be the kind of person who can like think of three things quick and you need a way to pick which the right one. There, and I pick like how weird it is. I'm like, well, it's gotta be like middle weird. Did you ever do a short form? No. Okay. There's a short form game like this. It's uh, uh it's called good, bad, worst. And basically, it's like um, a panel game. There's three people. And then the audience gives them a question like, how do I break with my girlfriend? So then there's good, bad, and worse. And I think that's where maybe that's why it works for me. And that's also where I'm sure a lot of short form people, because you do have to be quick and you think of three things. And, and or, or if somebody says something that's like, if you're worse and somebody says something that's worse than what you were going to say, you have to quickly like, oh, okay, his is actually, you know, worse than mine. So I got, I got to take it up a notch as well. Yeah. So kind of like frames you to to think that way to like think of like five different punchlines yeah and save them up It's like okay he did that he said uh, that and then I got to say did you do short form I did short form uh, for like two years before I started doing that's a long form. time yeah yeah uh, but I I think it's really helpful and I think um for it's good for heightening it's great for heightening it's great for robots it's great for like writers because you don't have to I mean obviously there's really good actors that do short form but if you're a writer you could also thrive and you know uh, th this is always like a good standard it's like hey can we get a suggestion of a famous uh, uh actor yeah humphrey bogart hi i'm hungry bogart yeah that always gets a big laugh right 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 by not even attempting yeah, to, yeah. to do it i want to change what i said the opposite of an iphone was okay if you're using an iphone to talk the opposite of an iphone is a um vow of silence mm -hmm. it is like the opposite of whatever it, it like it nullifies whatever the, what that one is yeah and like you mentioned like it, it's all the way in the other end of the clock which right is like snaps the the opposite of a nun is like brad pitt in fight club like someone is trying to incite chaos and violence for like no reason um so opposite of an iphone is a a dampener yeah i'm glad you explained that because i thought the opposite of a nun was like someone who's like hypersexualized, like brad pitt in fight club um i guess you could go that way too That's a nun's got a vow of chastity so it could be like <laughs> yeah. a very promiscuous person yeah, yeah. That, that, could, that would work too um, it depends what aspect of the thing you're trying to make opposite yeah uh so yeah um i don't like know if the op opposite of a drill sergeant <laughs> is maybe a yoga teacher right yes so if you tell it if you make your drill sergeant do yoga on the side 
That's pretty good heightening. It's the opposite. But better would be to go to 12, <laughs> which is like, it's not quite opposite. It's just not what we expect. So what does the drill sergeant do in the weekend? He's a yoga teacher. Okay. That's unusual. It's kind of boring. Cause yeah. it's like, so it's almost first thought. What is it? Was he, uh, what does he do on the, on his weekends? He builds habit trails for Guinea pigs. That's like weird, possible and more intriguing. I think it's funnier. It's almost like, yeah, it could be like a new premise or like a new. Yeah. Game. It's like it, I've expanded the world there. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I don't know if I um, derail what you want to talk about heightening, but I think I covered all the things I kind of want to tackle. Was there any of the other? Uh, My main aspects? thing is heightening and exploring. Like heightening and exploring. expand the don't don't just hit the pattern over and over. It won't work. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I kind of like like explore like an actor. Just like what is the story here? Not so that we can get lost in plot, just so that you can like be aware of the human beings. And I actually think it's okay to temporarily normalize things. You'll be able to get weird again. Mm -hmm. So if you bring it to a place where it's not weird, we'll find a way to be weird there again. Yeah. I think it's okay. Well, thanks so much. I'm glad kind of we got a chance to do that because even though we picked tightening, I think we talked more about exploring, but again, maybe it's just my background who I've interacted with, but I'll give, I you, think a little, I'll, I'll give you a little heightening. I think heightening is easy, but yeah. Okay, I, I think people are pretty good at it, so they don't need advice. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. Heightening is like, here's my method for heightening is if you're doing a pattern in an improv scene, mm -hmm. there's the first unusual thing. I mean, uh, this is going to be so specific that it's useless. But I think the next thing should be like a, almost an exact copy. You almost don't heighten it all on the second beat because you're just cementing it. You're like locking it. Maybe a little weirder. And then the next one, should be like 50% weirder, not double, maybe not even 30%. It's like a notch up, but now the audience is getting bored. So the next one's got to be like three times as much and you're almost done. Then you could do one more heightening that heightens like in a different uh, area. Like you usually what I do there is I go emotional and personal for heightening. So, I don't know. Can we think of a first unusual thing for me to demonstrate this on? What, what's a what's a first unusual thing in an improv scene that's not too crazy? Uh, I don't know why we have to deviate from a guy who uses a BlackBerry. Just use so many of them. But, <laughs> yeah. All right, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah. Guy who likes old technology. So the first one he likes using a BlackBerry. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to come in and heighten it, I'm going to do one that it's almost the same. Like he uses a Zune mm -hmm. instead of a, an iPhone. It's maybe even a little less, but it's in the same realm of like technology and um, you know phones, even and computer stuff. It's like it's like a, it's like I'm copying, but what I'm really doing is like cementing it. So we're all so the audience has noticed it and we're framing it really. And then the next one, I'm gonna do my twelve past the hour. I'm gonna try to be like a little weird, but not full weird, just a little spice on it, you know. Mm -hmm. So I might be like, um. I might be like, uh, are we going to watch Saved by the Bell? Better be the original. I don't like these rebooted Saved by the Bell episodes. They missed the point. So it's kind of like a different area. It's a little whimsical that this guy's talking about Saved by the Bell yeah. instead of like phones. A little random, but also people do like the original Saved by the Bell. Better. Nobody even knows that there was a reboot or something like that. So, okay, I'll do that. Maybe one more of those. You know, where I try to also just be a little weird, not too weird. Mm -hmm. So I'll be like, um, 
Hey, anybody um got an AOL disc around here? I need to check my email. Kind of um yeah, I might I might do that. Or I might go like um anybody want any asbestos? I'm trying to get rid of some asbestos. Like I'm moving into self-destruction, mm-hmm. getting weirder. Now I might do one more that's really trying to blow the lid off it. Not blow the lid off it, but really go too big. Because we've hit like four now. Is this what you wanted, David? Yeah, this is what I want. Or do you hate this? No, no. Uh, uh, so re- now I'm going to try to like get, and usually when I'm trying to like in this position, the fifth move, it's hard, you know, what I don't want to be is cliche. So I'm going to try to be specific rather than big. And usually what I do there is I'll try to go into the past, 60s, 1950s, 1800, because no one's ever thinking about the past, you know, so, or European or something like that. But I won't want to get too smarty pants because I'll, I'll slip it, get too smarty pants. So I'll just be like, oof. Anybody else miss the USSR? Um, that might be my next move there. Or if, if that feels too smarty pants, I might be like, ah, my corset's loose. You know, body stuff. Yeah. If it's me, I don't look like somebody wearing a corset, so it might surprise the audience. Um, then I'm going to try to, if the scene is still continuing, which I hope it's not, then I'm going to try to go sad and personal. I'm basically going to do a lateral move. Just as weird, but in a new area of this guy's life. It's not really exploring. I'm still going to hit the pattern. I'm just going to like, I'm just going to usually do it to reveal some kind of sad personal thing. Um, you know, hey, hand me that abacus. Okay. Audience is thinking abacus is going to be the game. And then I'll say like, yeah, that's how I track how many hours I'm allowed to visit my son on weekends. I'll just sadly move one of the beads. Yeah. And that gives it like a little bit of, heft right now i'm really hoping they edit but if they don't what the fuck would i do then then um i mean now i'm really just going to be like firing randomly it's just going to yeah. be like i'm out of stuff and you know you also have a scene partner to do this with they'll probably I hope say so is yeah something like hey man i didn't realize that you don't have custody of your son anymore i'm sorry yeah, it yeah, real yeah tough it's so tough he and i used to spend the weekends looking up at pluto in the sky, is that is that the smarty pants? I know, but like, I'm 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 I'm, I'm I, I gotta go back to my comfort zone. I'm yeah. out of ideas here. Yeah. Um. Uh. Well. Yeah, I miss him. You know what would make me feel better is a nice big glass of milk. Give me a full glass of non-pasteurized milk. You know, let me really taste the cow. Yeah. Um. Because another go-to for me is to work animals into stuff <laughs> when I'm like. Out of an animal somehow makes things funny. Yeah, I don't know if this is useful. No, so, I. So I. I, th- th- I these yeah. are the outer reaches of like, well, fuck, I'm, I gotta come up with something. Yeah, no, I appreciate you doing that because at the end of the day, like, uh, uh, I agree with you. I think most people naturally kind of have a a good sense of heightening or also practice it a lot. But I like what you did there. You kind of gave us a nice little structure uh, or a good approach that you would use. You know, a skeleton, if you will. And again, if you take a sketch writing class, a lot of it is stuff like that. Yeah, it's very, that's more sketchy. Yeah. Than um, like actory stuff. But it's, I don't know, it's good to be able to do it. Yeah. But I'm also glad we got a chance to talk about um, the horizontal heightening because I agree that's where most people, if I mean, you want to be heightening, do that and it'll, it'll take yeah, your heightening game to the It makes level. the other thing so much easier. And also, nobody's doing it. So yeah, it'll stand out. Awesome. Well, thanks again so much for uh, talking about that topic. Sorry and- about my voice, everybody. 
No, no need to apologize for that. I'm sorry. Well, we actually have one more thing, one more Great, segment. Great, let's do it. This is going to be screaming. time for yeah, our big screaming segment where we just <laughs> blow out our vocal cords. Uh, no, our next segment is going to be hot improv takes. Okay, yeah. So we're just going to rant uh, uh, for, you know, like you know how to do a hot take. And it's a hot take on improv. But we talk about improv trends that we want to see more of, less of. I actually don't. Is hot take like an opening? Uh yeah I I um like the rant like the rant okay. it's the rant uh, okay yeah. yeah 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 uh so I'll go ahead and I'll go first and then you can I'll interrupt you no <laughs> you I'll get I'm gonna go full on for a minute and then you can go uh have a minute on your happy um my topic your topic uh, that it. you want to rant about okay uh and and I always ask uh my uh guests sometimes I get to scary because so many people are like up and coming but you've been around long enough. Make it a hot take. Make you know. Okay, I'll make it a hot take. You know, don't be like people aren't listening enough. Like that's not a hot take. I got you. You're trying to impress your teachers. You're not trying to impress any teachers anymore. No way, man. Yeah, and also please don't get upset with my hot improv take. Okay, I won't. Okay, all right, ready? All right, hot improv take. Uh, I think I might have said this one before, but I I I think it's totally fun to to break character every once in a while because it's a way to let your scene partner know that. You're having fun too. Like that, that caught me off guard. And it's, it's a nice little wink to the audience. I don't say, I don't think you should do it too often. Maybe if we were talking about the, the, the cadence of the scene of heightening, it should be like that fourth or fifth move, save it for that. But if something that they say catches you off guard, like looking at Pluto got me, cause that's like a new way of like approaching old technologies, looking at a dead planet or a planet that's not there anymore. You should laugh cause sometimes the audience may not be as smart as your scene partner or you, they're not going to know that Pluto's not playing anywhere. But by you laughing, it really puts in the context. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, so I think uh, as a scene partner, it's okay to break, but it has to be deserved. Don't don't break just for the willy-nilly of it. Do it because um, your scene partner really caught you off guard. Don't do this. Don't hide it. Let everybody see how happy and how much fun you're having. Okay. My hot take, and I've, I've talked about this online, is I think the Herald is going to be diminished. We're going to have a lot less Herald in our future. It's not going to go away, but it, it has been the form that everybody uses for everything, every class, every show, every team, every theater. And I think a new form is going to emerge and it's going to be a form without an opening. The main thing about the Herald that I think is is holding it back from being relevant is, is the opening. Pulling ideas from the opening and constructing a premise is like, is like, it's like pitching versus the rest of baseball. It's like a separate skill. It's like, if you have an improv team, you can have a person who's good at crafting initiations. They might not be good at anything else. And um, it's that, that doesn't, it doesn't, the skill doesn't fit as well as like grounding, heightening within a scene, um, playing things real, emotionally reacting, relating to things being aware of what the audience needs to understand something framing all those things feed each other. And then there's a separate sketch writer ability, constructing a premise. So the Herald or any form with an opening leans on that too much. So I think going forward and I'm going to say going forward is two years from two years from now, the UCB will give up the Herald. That's my hot take. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much for sharing your hot take and thanks for making it a, uh... Uh, a real, real, real salty one, real hot. improv wise, at least. Yeah, salt. I, I'm not even salty. It's just a, a scorching hot volcano lava hot take. Thank okay. you so much. Uh, uh, great. 
so thanks so much. We just have one last thing to discuss on uh, this episode, which is your plugs. Please plug away anything and everything. You have. All right. Well, I, I founded an improv school called the world's greatest improv school, WGIS. So check that out. WGimprovschool.com. Um, I have a Substack where I write about improv. It's called improv Will Hines improv nonsense. Um, and so you can find that on Substack. Most it's mostly free. I do ask for paid subscriptions, but there's the vast majority of it's free. So please feel free to enjoy it um, at, a, at the free level. And um, follow my Instagram, Willie B. Hines. That's where I promote all things comedy that I do. That's it. Uh, and then just one plug I want to give. I do think you should read How to Be the World's Greatest Improviser. I reread it recently, and it's been help- like It's one of those things where I guess I read it when I first started, and I didn't have enough context. Mm. A couple years in, I reread it, and I was like, oh, this is making more sense. And I imagine... A couple years from now, I'm going to pick it up and read it again. Uh, that's fair. I love you saying that. Thank you. So uh, uh, if you already have the book, reread it because it may <laughs> affect you differently. But if you don't, let's get that resurgence in the sales for that book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then for uh, myself, I have uh, two big shows I want to put up next week. First one, UCB Cage Match, uh, Wednesday, December uh, 6th at 10 p.m. Come out, vote for Glass Clown. Could really use your help. This is like the only time I guess I'm gonna beg for votes, but yeah, like please, yeah, that, yeah, beg for those votes. <laughs> please vote for me. And then the other one, if you can't come to that one because it's Wednesday at ten, I understand. Come to uh, the Weegis three x three tourney round semifinals on Friday, the eighth, and I'm also competing in that one. My team, Casica Long, uh, we're up for the second uh, semifinals. So uh, it's going to be a team full of winners. It'll be a great show overall. Everybody that has been competing so far has been really funny. So come on out. And that one, if hey, if my name is on your ballot, that's fine. But there's so many other great uh, teams uh, competing that night that whoever ends up uh, uh, getting your votes is uh, is going to be a, a, a benefit to improv for all. All right. But that's it. Uh, thanks again so much for stopping by. We'll really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, David. All right. See you all later. Bye.